Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, this is the week we are launching the union. You've heard me talk about it for weeks now. Now is the time to do it. Join the union.us. Come join the pro-democracy hub that is going to make sure the forces of democracy win and are successful this November and that everybody who wants to vote can. Again, join the union.us. And now on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Megan Madsen, renowned grassroots organizer and strategist, board member of The Lincoln Project, and partner at Table Rock Capital, a mission-driven private equity firm. Megan, thanks for joining us on your Lincoln Project podcast debut. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've been a listener for so long. It's a delight to be on the other side of the mic. Oh, well, thank you for coming. So, Megan, as I talked about earlier this week with Joe Trippi, we're once again talking about our rollout of the union. But before that, I want to get a little bit into your background and what stops you made along the way to get you both to here at the Lincoln Project in developing the union. So tell us first and foremost how you got involved in grassroots organizing, a little bit about your background in campaigns and how you came to understand that there was this imminent connection between modern grassroots and technology. Yeah, I really started in a pasture outside our house so long ago with one of our three kids on my back when I was talking to a neighbor and they mentioned a issue that was about to hit our school district and this category of school districts across California. And I made the usual assumption that someone was working on it and I could help. It turned out no one was. We got on the phones and slowly put together a list of active parents across all those districts. And I started writing a newsletter out to them about where this item was in committee and who they could write to with what information. And we ended up defeating it and assemblymen stood on the floor and said they'd never gotten so many letters on a single issue. So that taste for how frequently no one's working on what needs to be done and that it's possible to just start where you are and grab some people in on it and actually save your school district in that case was my entry point. And not long after that, I had the opportunity to meet a governor from Vermont in a small setting in San Francisco who was just heading into the presidential primaries. That was Howard Dean. And I ended up working as an organizer on the ground. And it was good fun to experience Joe Trippi's really revolutionary, open approach to digital organizing and the real empowerment of people on the ground to get as creative and noisy as they chose. And as I've experienced over the years, once you taste just getting after it, you don't really go back. Well, let me just say, to go back to one thing you said about the assembly members standing on the floor talking about how they'd never gotten so many phone calls, 
folks out there remember the last thing that any elected official wants to do is actually hear from a live constituent. They don't want to hear it on the phone. They don't want an email. God forbid you actually see them in the flesh and ask them a question. It is like they are Superman and you're kryptonite. It just totally reduces their ability to think clearly, which I've always found fascinating because these are people who put their name on a ballot specifically to do this job. It is remarkable how sensitive they actually are to any amount of noise from actual live people. And so I went on from there to get pretty inspired by your guy, George W. Bush. <laughs> inspired being used in a different context in this case. Exactly. I ended up starting this group called The Mob, Main Street Moms Oppose Bush. And it was discovering that the conventional avenues for volunteering often just crop up too close to the election. So you've got so many people ready to mobilize early in the year, but no way to get to work. And so we ended up putting together these downloadable kits and people started writing letters and mailing absentee voter registration applications to mothers in progressive precincts of the swing states. And that just, because we had it sort of packaged up, it just took off and we ended up in 50 states and we wrote half a million of those voter registration letters. And that was a blast. And that group is still going today on a, a weekly basis, but more on local issues. So you've probably heard it throughout your time as an activist. And we certainly hear it now, not only when we do phone calls and do Zooms, but now that we're out on the road more often, what is it I can do? I think so many folks are either scared, they're disconnected, unsure. And then sometimes it's just eating the elephant, right? Like it's just, what am I supposed to do about all these problems? Which, as we know, the reason why we create this kind of infrastructure is because no one person can do it. But that if you have a group of people committed to a common goal, suddenly it becomes not this intangible monolith, but a very real solvable problem. With the mob, we always had a few basic rules of engagement. One was start where you are. Two, every action we tried to start as a bite-sized action and made it guilt-free so people didn't feel like they were taking on the world by deciding to say yes to that first action. And then there's a line of Joe Trippies that I've always enjoyed, which is grab a friend. So it's true. If you're waiting for someone to show up at the door with a package of here's exactly what you need to do next, you're going to be paralyzed for some time. And we're really working with the union to kind of break that ice and start connecting all the people in the Lincoln Project audience, for example, who are saying, what can I do with a lot of the groups that haven't slowed down on the ground and are tired and are looking for bodies and fresh energy to show up and help out. I mean, a lot of the folks I've met with in the last few months are very dedicated. But to your point, they sometimes seem a little bit discouraged. And it sounds like a lot of folks just haven't, nobody's come to talk to them. Now, you can say, okay, well, it's COVID. So that's part of it. But it also seems like sometimes that there are individuals or groups out there who think it is them against the world, that there is no one else out there in their state, in their county, in their community who is of like mind, of like mission. So tell me how folks feel when somebody says, hey, I'm a friend or come join us here. I mean, because I, I feel like, again, being the furthest thing from a, a grassroots activist, that it sometimes can feel like you're just Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill. Well, I can say that one of the 
best experiences I've had in this realm was deciding to go down and show up on Beto O'Rourke's Senate campaign in 18. And the aspect of that that was so positive was I was working on the distributed team organizing some of the out-of-state activities. And you get on the phone with people and they so badly wanted to help. And the fact that you were giving them this step-by-step training to host their own phone banks, make their own calls, write their own letters, they were so grateful for that outlet. And once you've got an action like that, that you can just throw yourself at, it's a tonic and an antidote to that generalized anxiety that is the news. (laughs) I mean, you end up finding that the people who are the most active are the most inoculated against that anxiety and that exhaustion that you otherwise hear. You've used the word distributed twice, and I want to talk about that for a second, because coming from my Republican background, and the Republicans have always been far more hierarchical than Democrats. There is an order, it comes from on high, and it rolls downhill, and that order will be followed to the letter. You'll either do it, or you'll tell somebody you did it, You'll make the calls or you'll make up the fact that you made the calls, whatever, but it all comes from the top. And, you know, that has some benefits, which is there's very little daylight. But the downsides of that, I think, are more, which is one, you've got to have a hell of an infrastructure to keep that all together. And two, you take out any passion, excitement, or creativity that someone on the ground who is going to know the terrain far better than you ever will to make their own decisions about what's going to work best in a given situation. Yeah, I think that singular empowerment on a distributed basis was the genius of that Howard Dean campaign, where they said, go gather. In that case, it was these monthly meetups and get after it. And it wasn't top down. It was very connected. And so you would see your suggestions reflected in the governor's blog, for example. But We created a million things in the Bay Area, newsletters, farmers market events, parade showings. And I ended up doing the same thing with the mob effort where people would Shanghai their book groups and turn them into political action (laughs) groupings on a weekly basis. They did their own artwork and outreach, and I ended up having a really creative social aspect of it that just kept it going. And a lot of the feedback that we had was people ended up running for school board out of that effort. And the lovely thing it does is that it creates leadership from the ground up that keeps going when the money's over or the election's over. So let's talk about what we're trying to do as an initiative of the Lincoln Project. So talk to us a little bit about the union, how it came about, how it's powered, and what we hope to do with it. And most importantly, Megan, how can people sign up? (laughs) Well, you sound like a true organizer now, Reed. (laughs) These ex-Republicans are coming a long way. I first heard the mutterings last summer around the need expressed by yourself and Lincoln Project for the broadest possible single-issue pro-democracy coalition going forward. And that really became this concept of the union, which is all the pro-democracy forces united from AOC to Liz Cheney and everyone in between who are committed to preserving the democracy that we have. And it brings real clarity and unity. And this is really going beyond party to everyone who sees this autocratic threat in the GOP. So the union is really a platform that taps into the 
sort of 5 million follower strength of the Lincoln Project's voice to begin with and starts linking those folks up with the grassroots efforts on the ground in states around the country. And so we, since the first discussion of the union, we've done some exciting handoffs of folks who are really needed, for example, in some of the counties in Texas to show up as election judges and be part of keeping polls open for that primary vote and then show up on some other voter protection efforts where local groups have been really working hard and need some of that fresh energy. And then in addition, the kinds of digital actions like piling on recently as we did on Fox's phone lines, crashing Fox's phone lines with an action when we were seeing Russian talking points verbatim coming out of their mouths. And so that's the other part, too, is that I think sometimes when folks hear this, you know, join the union, join the union dot US, everybody out there listening. You heard it from Trippy the other day. I'm going to check. I'm going to check on all of you. Join the union dot US that it can be a little bit sort of like confusing. But I think that the thing that I've seen with what you and the team that have built this, and we should note that it is an all volunteer team who has built this, which, again, as a vestigial Republican astounds me that there's so much passion and expertise and willingness just sitting there waiting to be tapped into that I think it's important what I've seen so far, Megan, is to keep the calls to action simple but effective. And that goes back to your phone line thing with the assembly member and goes back onto the Fox thing, which is when you get a call to action, it's not going to take very long, right? You're not writing war and peace. We're not asking you to host 28 people for a letter writing campaign at your home. These are very deliberate, simple steps, but in the aggregate can have a massive impact. Exactly. And I think we're able through this effort to really amplify both those on the spot, immediate actions against the bad guys, but also raise up and amplify the really inspiring efforts that are already underway out there. So, you know, you've done these wonderful interviews of the Check My Ads group and the ongoing efforts of the Sedition Hunters and these great creative online efforts that have cropped up can be amplified through the union. And then we can really bring the force of many voices to bear on those pressure points and see victories like the victory when AT&T felt the pressure and worked to end the OAN contract on DirecTV. Right. And Toyota last summer. But Megan, I think I also want to make sure that everybody out there in radio land understands too that this is not a big D democratic effort. The candidates that we are most likely willing to help elect or protect will be Democrats because the big D Democratic Party is the last pro-democracy party we have left. But this is a small d democracy effort. We want Republicans. We want Democrats. We want independents. We want people in the city. We want people in the suburbs. We want people on the farms, wherever it is they are. And I was on a phone call earlier today with a guy who we had sat down at lunch with who had very little political involvement or, you know, doesn't pay much attention to politics, very involved in his community, but on issues related specifically to things within that community, not sort of national politics. And he said, you know, I heard a lot about what you're against, but I'm not sure what y'all are for. And I said, well, let me tell you. And so I think this is also the part where the Lincoln Project in particular is known for our hard hitting ads taking on Trump. 
But I think that this is a key component to the sort of yin and yang of what this movement needs to be. It's clear that the pro-democracy movement needs many voices at all levels. So I think some of the things that we would be supporting going forward is people showing up in their school board meetings and really countering the chaos and the noise of the anti-democratic voices and to underscore sign up at jointheunion.us, we'll be able to match people with particular skills up with efforts. One, I think, wonderful example of this pro bono desire to help is that the new site for the union is actually designed by a very professional but all-volunteer web design developer. And we'll be doing that up and down the organization. So here you are, Megan. You're on the radio with me, a guy <laughs> who moved to San Francisco in 2005 with literally nothing, nothing but George W. Bush on his resume. And as I told a story when I was out there a couple of weeks ago, couldn't find a job because everybody's like, why are you here? You're in the wrong place. Went to work at a bookstore, right, as a cashier just to have something to do. So why did you join the pirate ship with this merry band of apostate Republicans and independents and, you know, folks who some of the folks that found us are politically homeless? They're inspired Democrats. They're depressed Republicans. What made you say, you know what, these guys, I got to take a look at these guys. You know, I was describing that to someone recently, and it was so similar to the experience of hearing a candidate's voice for the first time, you know, when you really connect and decide to support all out. Early in 2020, hearing the Lincoln Project's voice, if you will, it had exactly that powerful impact on me. And I think it's that combination of courage and fight and clarity again, and just defiance of a lot of the things that I think tend to hold the Democratic Party back in too much caution and not enough offense. All of that really spoke to me. And it's been such a relief and pleasure to have conversations with people across the organization. It's immensely diverse. You have progressive people up and down the staff and longtime Republicans I'll be in a conversation and find out someone was actually working. When I was working for Beto, they were working for Ted Cruz. And I don't care. Who is that person? <laughs> Who is that person? I won't out them. What? I won't out Wait them. Wait a second. <laughs> Sound the alarm. But it's such a relief not to care because <laughs> right. the principle and the values shared are so clear and the threat is so clear. It's so much more enjoyable than the hair splitting over policy and the idea that fighting the virtuous fight is better than winning. Winning is virtuous. You know, I'll probably get a lot of boos and hisses from the crowd out there, but it's no less a person than Mitch McConnell that said winners make policy and losers go home. The virtuous fight makes a great movie, but it doesn't get you where you need to be. No, I don't want to go home. <laughs> so here we are. I mean, I want to get your sense, too, of from not only your experience as an organizer, and now taking, you know, such a leadership role, not only with the Lincoln Project generally, but in the union specifically, like, how do you see the world from someone who has been intimately involved in politics, but it hasn't been your life? How do you see the world right now? I see it on such a countdown to this coming November and a countdown to the January in 2025 that, you know, I was feeling the urgency over the last 
five years and kept taking these political sabbaticals from what you would call normal life. And I'm just all in from here forward because is that the Ukrainian quote, freedom is our religion? We are at a really critical historic point, and I don't see a reason to work on anything but the defense of democracy. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you a different question. As a pretty progressive Democrat, when you saw Donald Trump come down the escalator, did you think, like, what a joke? I just had that deep queeze. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the (laughs) Pepto-Bismol? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wish I could say that I reacted as clearly as Rick Wilson in 2015. I think that my real reading began then, and it was only 16, 17, that after I'd read the like 15 book stack of every way democracies die and dark money. And <laughs> right. I've got them all here. Yes. Stacked up. They're all surrounding me. Yeah. Yeah. You could build a bunker with that. But also I didn't work hard enough in 16 remotely and feel like I've been trying to make up for it ever since. It still seems so surreal. And every week got more surreal, not less. And then he won. And then I can't speak for you, but I was in a very, very dark place for like five months, maybe six. I mean, the part that just broke me, as it did for so many people, was the news from the border of the family separations that sort of cracked us as a family. We ended up down there at Torneo to protest with our bodies and our posters. That just felt like we owned it as a country and had to fight it not to own it going forward. But this is too where, you know, going back to winning and losing, elections have consequences. That election had four years of serious consequences, and we're dealing with those today. I mean, it was one of our guys, Trigby Olson, a friend of ours, who said, we may look back as a country or maybe as a movement and say November 2020 was an election in which 45,000 people voting the right way saved the Western democratic order. It's hard to think about it in that kind of context until you see what tragedy is going on in Ukraine and you go, oh my God, like this is how close we came. I think Trigvi's first rule of dealing with autocrats, play the game you're in, not the one you've known. I think we sort of need to chant that every morning because it's so easy to fall into the past practices. And then two, I think one thing that's been valuable to me in the Lincoln Project voice is that fact that you guys are history geeks. And so there's more of a synthesis in the discussion rather than the scattershot information of the day that I think is really valuable to people. And if we can hang on to what we're learning right now, watching the spirit of the Ukrainians and the defiance of the Ukrainians and the clarity of this fight, which is absolute oppression, tyranny, and brutality against freedom, and hang on to that as we head into the elections ahead of us here at home and be noisy and really creative and, if need be, foolish ways against the losses that we're experiencing at the state level, Texas and Florida being the most obvious, but it's really across the board with these state legislatures. And don't try to be super savvy about the threat. It's here. And thank God the balance of the Western world was still there for Biden's appeal on this front. I'm so glad we hadn't done more permanent damage internationally in terms of those relationships. That's right. And, and I think that we've, we've talked about this previously on the show that Republicans are now, if Donald Trump called Joe Biden sleepy Joe, now the Republicans are trying to call him slow Joe. You know, he wasn't fast enough on the uptake. 
And what I would say to all of our reporter friends who listen and those who don't is when Josh Hawley says that to you, you should say, weren't you like the pro-Putin guy a month ago? Listen, as Republicans, we always used to say the media can't stand us, right? They're all out, all over us, all over us, blah, 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 blah. They're always against us. But the truth was Republican candidates did and still do win in spite of media that doesn't necessarily like them. But what does it feel like to be a Democrat now? Because it seems like the shoe's a little bit on the other foot, not because the media is biased against you, but because they feel a need to still have it to tell both sides, even when one side is full of shit. Pardon my French. Yeah, they are definitely playing the old game. And it's so painful to watch because they played it for the five years. And then we're still there. The idea that Biden is slow when he was messaging the intelligence out long before the invasion and the GOP has been completely on the wrong side. And then they're also the do nothing party. They do nothing. So the idea that his fast action and his deployment of all of this military aid, which is making a difference on the ground in Ukraine, is slow when they're parroting Russian talking points, does make me as a Democrat infuriated with the media's lack of evolution. So for our Democratic listeners out there, someone who's a lifelong Democrat, what would you tell folks about if there's the torrent of information coming at you? How would you tell them to look at the world just a little bit differently to understand what it is we're up against? Well, I'd say, one, pay attention to the historians because they just call it and they're not surprised by everything that's hitting. And the autocratic forces count on us being disoriented and surprised all the time. So paying attention to the historians, but also the strategists and the fighters, it comes to mind if I could promote one other resource at my5things.com. Rick Wilson did this amazing 90-minute class on winning the messaging wars to save democracy. So my5things.com, that class in how to actually deal with things like Josh Hawley saying that Biden's slow, how to fend that off and play the game we're actually in, I think is really valuable. We need to train our own brains to deal with this new landscape we're in. I had John Avlon on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about his book about Lincoln during and at the end of the Civil War, and he knew he had to win the war in the immediate front, but he had to start thinking about the world that would be, or the America, I should say, that would be after the Union won the war. And I think that sometimes that's one of those things that we get a little bit lost on, which is there is this fight. We must concentrate on this fight. But guys, the fight that this will ultimately lead to is the ones that we all want back, which are fundamental arguments about issues of the day on common terms. And to your point about the historians, Anna Applebaum, in her great book, Twilight of Democracy, which is a short read, I highly recommend it, go out and get it today or put it on your Kindle, is one of the hallmarks of a democracy in peril is when there is no established common argument or common truth. And I think we certainly see that in the United States, and we're certainly seeing it coming out of the Kremlin right now in Vladimir Putin, where you have everybody in his inner circle saying things that are not only Megan lies, but demonstrably false. Like there is evidence on all the other screens in the world <laughs> that says it's a lie, but they do it anyway. And we see that here too. Yeah. And I guess I just feel like we need to call on ourselves to be stronger, like mentally stronger. I'll talk to someone who I know to be educated and informed, whatever those words mean now, and they'll say something about, oh, well, I just can't, you know, the left is so crazy and the right. 
that is such an abdication of your critical thinking and a giving in to a lazy nihilism that we should not have time for. People need to hold themselves to higher analytical standards at this point and do the thinking and the, and the reading to make the right call. Don't check out using those lazy outs. Well, because the lazy out leads to what we see President Zelensky and all these hundreds of thousands of young men and women in Ukraine, whether or not they're the regular army, the territorial defense forces, volunteers who have said, I'll go to the front with an AK-47, 20,000 foreign volunteers coming into that country. That's what you end up with. The lazy thinking leads to that because one day you wake up and it's not the country or it's bad guys either at your border, which we are lucky enough not to have, or down the street. Yeah. I was so struck by one of the Russian prisoners of war speaking into the camera saying how they had fallen for the confusion at home. And he said, we were too little in our thoughts. And I feel like we practice that domestically and it's time to step it up several levels. Right. Step it up, gang. So Megan, give us one more preview of the union where folks can find it and why they should sign up. All right. So the union is at jointheunion.us. If you sign up, you'll be invited to describe your particular skills. If you have none, that's fine. We'll be sending out union alerts for actions, and we will match you up so that we can really pull this single-issue pro-democracy coalition together in action for the months ahead. Well, amen. And I want to thank you, Megan, for both your leadership here at the Lincoln Project and with helping get the union built and off the ground. Where can our listeners find you on social media if you dare to be there? You can find me on Twitter at Matson16, M-A-T-Z-O-N, the number 16. And everybody, you can find me, as always, on Twitter at Reed Galen. Megan, I want to thank you for joining me. You folks out there in Radio Land, join the union.us. Do it right now. Don't wait. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.